0: It's uh, Ecclesiastes Sunday School. Thanks for uh, waking up and coming. Uh, if you want to, most of it will be on the board, but if you want to also open the Bible in your pews, we're going to mainly look at Ecclesiastes two and three. Um, let me uh, let me pray for us, Lord. This is your uh, good world, and um, man, if uh, we got to worship at eight thirty, we're, we're just reminded of how you are here and you're among us, uh, and you're our Father in Christ and So pray that we embrace those things this morning, uh, even as we live in a um, death-filled, seemingly chance-filled world. Uh, I pray that you'd make us wise uh, as we look at Ecclesiastes and the ordinary joys you give us. In your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, um, so like I always say, these are my sources I pull from, uh, mainly Zach Eswine, But... um, Ecclesiastes' wisdom book, uh, the, the wisdom books are trying to get us to think about how do I live a good life in the world as it really is? Uh, how do I, um, yes, how do I fear God, but what does it look like in a world that is, that is so confusing, uh, that has so much injustice, uh, that seemingly, of course, we know God is sovereign, but seemingly so much gets left up to chance uh, and death is, is just a reality. How do we embrace uh, a good life and follow Him amidst that? that is the, that's the answer that all the wisdom books are, uh, are bringing together. And if you are with us last week, we looked at that wisdom actually involves hating some things, uh, not being okay with some things, despising some things that are wrong with this world because it's not the way things are supposed to be. Um. And everywhere that Ecclesiastes, this this preacher looks, he's saying this world is filled with vanity. It's the word hevel, which is the same word as like smoke. And if you think about smoke, smoke is real. Uh, it's not nothing, but if you try to grab it, if you try to hold on to it, it slips away. And that is what this broken world uh, feels like. If you try to if you live under the sun and you try to find satisfaction and purpose and answer to all your why questions, it's always going to feel like smoke. There's real things, but it will not satisfy you in those things. Um, and, and here's what the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to say today. Okay, in light of the fact that this world is broken and it's confusing and it's, it's vain in the sense of it does not provide ultimate meaning and satisfaction and answer all those why questions because death is coming He's going to say over and over again, therefore, you should find real joy in this life. Therefore, you should embrace the ordinary joys that come your way. Like five or six times in this little book, uh, this is one of the main themes. He's going to say something like this. There is nothing better for a person than, than to eat and drink and find enjoyment. Um. I really when I first read Ecclesiastes for years I don't think I understood what the preacher was doing. I took that statement as kind of a throwaway despair statement. I was like, well, I guess just eat, drink and be happy. But it's not. This is a statement of wisdom from this from Solomon or the Solomon-like figure saying if you're going to live wisely in a beautiful and broken world, if you're going to live a good life even though there's suffering and injustice, you have to embrace the ordinary parts of joy. Um so let me, let me. I'm going to read these. There's even more than this, but here's like a, a snippet of them. Ecclesiastes 2, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment for apart from him who can eat and who can fi- have enjoyment. Ecclesiastes 3, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than, they, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to, oops, so I say to man, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. All right, then, here we go, Ecclesiastes 9. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, Let, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your tool at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And last, Ephesians 5, I mean Ecclesiastes 5. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot." Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toll, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Okay, honestly, is that what you expected? Because this takes me by surprise. He is saying in light of death, in light of so much confusion in this world, in light of so much that seems left up to chance that it makes you, that Right, Ecclesiastes is the person looking at Proverbs who seems to me making all these ways that ordinary things look, like raise your child in the way you should go and you'll not part from his path. And Ecclesiastes is like, no, not really, not always. Uh, you know, he says, in light of coming death under the sun, you should enjoy, your, in, enjoy the wife that you have, enjoy people, enjoy good food, enjoy, enjoy good drink, and enjoy the work that God has given you. Do that. And I just don't, that is not what I would think that a wise preacher would say. I, you know, it, I would think, okay, death is inevitable. You don't know how many days you have. So I think you'd say, Christian, quit concerning yourselves with things that don't matter, like food and drink and what your garden looks like. Just start praying and go tell somebody about Jesus. I would think that's what he would say. And yet he says, tend to your garden, care about food, enjoy the drink. Or he'd say, like, you might say death. You can't control it, so quit concerning yourself with this ordinary stuff. Go do something radical. Go on some mission trip. All those things are great. But he says wisdom is just enjoying the ordinary life where God has you. Um, and so he really is saying because death is coming and because you have no idea ultimately what God is doing, you don't, you don't know what these specific circumstances God is doing in your life. Enjoy your food, drink your wine, let your garments be white and oil. That's a way of, of talking about being outside, right? White garments reflected the sun. Uh, and, and enjoy life with your wife because that's what God has given you to do. So here's, uh, we're going to be a little bit quick today, but I want you to, um, like we've been doing, we're just going to take about three minutes. uh. uh just do one and two, okay? Um, in light of coming death, right, he says, eat and drink and find enjoyment. Does that sound like wisdom to you, honestly? Uh, why or why not? Like, how does that strike you, just how we talked about? And then third, if he wants you to find joy in the ordinary things that you have, what, what robs you of that joy? What blocks that kind of joy for you? Why, why is that hard to access, okay? So, just with the people around you, Take like three and a half minutes. Literally, that's it. Just discuss one and three. Uh, We don't have time for two, so Um, go with those. All right, start wrapping it up. Sorry, I we didn't have as much time. All right, hopefully you got it. I'm going to ask us about number three uh, in just a minute. Um, So just think about the fact of, does it sound like wisdom to you or does it sound like a throwaway statement to say, uh, uh, enjoy the food and drink and relationships that God has given you because this is your lot because death is coming and and seeming chance and all those kind of things uh had somebody uh last week after they talked about when they read Ecclesiastes they actually called their friends uh, he, he basically had some friends they'd always been talking about taking this trip and they'd never done it and it, they kept being put off and when he read Ecclesiastes he was like we need to take this trip <laughs> which is interesting right I think, I think he was actually, I think he was getting that because here's the deal. Um, this is from a New Testament commentator, uh, but he wrote about Ecclesiastes He says, there's always been within the Christian tradition an ascetic tendency that understands true spirituality as involving the shunning of created things, food, wine, and sex, rather than the enjoyment of these things and thankfulness to God who has blessed us with them. But the teacher helps us to see that the latter is true spirituality, that true spirituality involves the enjoyment of the good things that God has made, not shunning. Of course, there's a place for fasting and things like that because of what our hearts can do with those, but they are good. And, and uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here like I was going to, but the whole, the whole second question asking you to look at the Garden of Eden and God's instructions to Adam and Eve, because if you'll look at God's commands, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, right? What is that? It's not good for man to be alone, Enjoy the relationships that God has given you, right? So before sin enters the world, be fruitful and multiply. Then he tells them to subdue the earth and have dominion. That's another way of saying do the work that God has given you, do it with joy. And then the third thing that he tells them is he says, Behold, I've given you every plant, you shall have them for food. Enjoy the food and drink that God has provided you. So in the Garden of Eden, he looks at Adam and Eve and he basically says, Enjoy enjoy your uh, spouse and your children enjoy the work that I've given you to enjoy and, and, and enjoy all the, the good things I've given you like food and drink. That's why in Ecclesiastes, he says, God has already approved what you do. He's saying those things of working, eating, drinking, loving your family, God created those things. He already declared them good. He's already approved of them. You don't have to wake up wondering, ah, what is the will of God for me today? It's those things those things have already been approved. And if you keep following that theme through the Bible, it's really interesting. God brings his people in Exodus out of Egypt. Why? Out of slavery to bring them into the promised land, which was called a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of, the, of enjoyment of the ordinary. Uh, when Jesus shows up, of course, of course he is saving us from our sins. That is what he's primarily doing. But also in Matthew 11, do you know what it says? It says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came enjoying the gifts that God has given and enjoying them with people. And then when Jesus ascends into heaven, which if we all think about heaven wrongly, you'll realize that this morning when you listen to the sermon. you know what one of the characteristics of the early churches in Acts 2? They received their food with glad and generous hearts. That was a sign that the Spirit was at work. And then when Jesus returns and makes everything uh, new and whole and there is no more sin, no more suffering, it's a very real material place that is characterized as a wedding celebration, food and wine. And so we're going to be working and enjoying. It is going to be the Garden of Eden, but better. And if you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, that's what's so interesting. When When they enter what would be the new Narnia, They end up saying, oh, the reason we love the old Narnia is it reminded us of this new Narnia. The joys of this place are glimmers of what's to come and what God has provided. So the question really is of wisdom is how do you enjoy ordinary good things that God has given you? Because the preacher's saying you are not living a wise life until you figure out how to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. What would that look like? Um, and there's a, there's a contrast between what, what, uh, what the preacher does. Fools, I would say, handle joy because they see the vanity. They see that death is coming. They see none of this stuff last. last. They either they enter into despair or nihilism that is Eeyore that's basically saying everything's vain everything has death and chance uh so what's the point of anything everything's going to fall apart nothing matters it's all it's all meaningless so just weep just be cynical that's that's one of the responses that the world does uh another self-indulgence right is is to say okay life is meaningless death is coming so just do whatever makes yourself feel good have a party, invite your friends over, drink, bear, uh, drink, eat, be merry for tomorrow we die. Like the pleasures aren't going to satisfy you forever, so just make the most of them right now. And it's a very it's a self-indulgent world. Okay? That's t- that's the typical way the world responds. Christians actually sometimes can respond by I would say uh, like a fool with pietism that basically says Paying attention to the physical and the body is a complete waste. Uh, Eternal matters are at stake. So why be concerned with your yard or or, or food or drink? Just pray, read the Bible, share the gospel because the condition of the soul is all that matters. Does the condition of the soul matter? Yes. Should we pray, read the Bible? Yes. Should we share the gospel? But it's not all that matters. And so there's a way that Christians somehow have actually shunned the wise living by, by pietism the other way that Christians sometimes shun wise living is escapism, uh, that, we, that we refuse to acknowledge how bad things really are in this world. And so we refuse to embrace the brokenness and how death has entered this world and how suffering and sin, and, we, and we'll say things like, well, people just have it worse than me, or it's not that bad. Everything is fine. Why are you doubting? Why are you sad? But see, if I try to escape... The bad, you also are going to escape the joys. You, can't, you cannot numb the bad. You cannot uh, be in denial to the bad and also embrace the joys. Those two work together. Unless you enter wise hatred and grieving like we talked about last week, you will actually belittle the joys on the other side of it. This is why if you were, if you were with uh, John Cox who came as a counselor uh, years ago, he said, sadness and depression are not the same. He said sadness is actually the opposite of depression. He said depression, depression are people who have not learned how to grieve and be sad wisely. If you're sad, it's a, transit, it's a transitory emotion that actually metabolizes pain, that enables you to embrace joy later. And so we've actually got to learn how to be sad, to live a wise and joyful life because Jesus was a man of sorrows. So, what then is the way of wisdom? I know I'm flying. Um, I put this man, I I googled party in a a cemetery, and this is what came up. So, uh, (laughs) he doesn't look that happy, but... The writer of Ecclesiastes really is saying there's a way to have real, ordinary joy amidst the reality, not denying that death is coming, not denying that injustice is here and that sadness is here, but you can actually embrace the joys in the middle of it. How? All right. Um, you, and, and we might spend two weeks on this because I, I love talking about this. The key is to see all, all uh, ordinary joys are actually a gift and that it is your lot. Those are the two things that the writer of Ecclesiastes keep, keeps, uh, keeps saying, this is a gift from God and this is your lot that God has given. So <clears throat> before we talk about uh, ordinary, what did you say b- like blocks or robs us of the ordinary joys uh, of the gifts that God has given you just in everyday life. What, what did you come up with? What are some, like what are some ways that you struggle to enjoy the ordinary? What blocks that? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So worry and anxiety about what's coming. What if this doesn't last? Uh, what if I can't control this? What if I can't keep this here? Yeah, that's great. Worry and anxiety tends to kill our joy in the present. What else? T- yes, Tim. Guilt and, shame. guilt and shame. So you could say worry about the future, and guilt and shame is always something connected to my past. So you could say regret about my past. Okay? Uh, first time I went and saw a counselor uh, years ago, uh, he, I should have put this on there. He drew this line, uh, and he said God made us... Um, uh, God made us uh, people in time, so we work past, present, future, right? That's, the, that's how God made us. And He said, somehow, I don't fully understand this, God is outside of time. So He drew this circle, right? He's eternal, He's outside of time. But that circle intersected with the line at one spot, and it said pre- it, it was present. He said, Here's the deal. He said, If I were Satan, or however you going to talk about it, He said, If I wanted to keep you from abiding in Jesus and having joy right now, He, he, he said, I'd do one of two things. I'd get you so focused on your past that you live in regret. Or I'd get you so worried about the future and what's coming uh, that you live in anxiety. Because he said, here's the deal. Of course Jesus deals with our past and he forgives us of it and and he wipes it away. And of course he looks at us and says, you can trust me with your future. But the only place that you can trust Jesus, the only place that you can abide with Jesus, the only place that you can pray and connect with Jesus is right here, right now. That's it. I cannot trust Jesus 20 days from now because I'm not there. And I cannot trust Jesus 25 days in my past. That's already happened. Now, he can, he can redeem that, but the only time I can trust him and the only time I can embrace his joy is right now. And one of the fundamental ways that we, we get robbed of that is what y'all just said, regret of past or, or anxiety about the future. Good. What else? Y'all hit my first two. Anything else? Do what? Yes, comparison. Because here's what comparison is. Comparison is a form of entitlement. Entitlement always robs joy because entitlement is saying, I've earned something. This should be mine, which is the opposite of a gift. And therefore, when I see other people that have this, I envy or uh, uh, hatred or whatever. And so I'm I'm not concerned with my lot, the gift that God has given me. I'm entitled, and so I'm, I'm mad that somebody else has that. That will always rob your joy, always, because I will not see what God has given me. That's awesome. Anything else? What did you say, Greg? Yes, uh, worship of the enjoyment or idolatry or however you want to call it. Instead of, instead of a good meal or a great vacation or whatever, instead of that being... Gifts from God. They they are, they're trying to get something else. They're trying to, they're trying to get my They're trying to satisfy me or be my. Just think about clothes, okay, or food, instead of like having a party to love other people and to enjoy being with others. Idolatry means food and dress become a way to impress others, okay, to to garner your approval. See, now that's the language of idolatry. That'll actually rob your joy. Because I'm, I'm trying to do something with these gifts they were never made to do, to tell me who I am, to tell me my value, and they were never meant to do that. Good. Uh, the other one I thought of was, um, this kind of goes with entitlement, but the idea that there's always something bigger or better out there that I don't have yet. Like, I, I really thought of this. Like, how many times... Have I been with my kids in a room and I miss their laughter or I miss their conversation or I miss their love because because in my mind, there was real work hanging out there I got to do tomorrow. And I'm thinking about that. And so this isn't as important. And so food and drink and kids are getting in the way of the real thing I've got to do, which is coming at 8 a.m. tomorrow. And that blocks... The present ordinary joy. This is, where, uh, this is where European culture just has us whipped, right? You're, I finally went to Europe for the first time, and, you, like, my, and my wife used to talk about this. She spent a semester in Florence. She would, like, they laugh at the idea of fast food. I mean, there are fast food restaurants, but for the most part, they're like, why would you speed up something that is supposed to be there for your enjoyment? Why, why would you reduce lunch down to this 20-minute you know, fast meal? It must think that we think there's something more important to do, right? And they take an insanely long time eating, which sometimes drove me crazy, but they actually are going to embrace that and say, why are you trying to get to something else? Uh, and so even that idea that there's something, there's something bigger or better on my plate will rob me of the joy in the ordinary. So, what does it look like then to pursue those things? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this in two weeks. Is to see it first as a gift, and second to see that that gift has been has been given by your heavenly Father to, to particularly to you. This is your lot. Um, right, James talks about this. James one. He says all good things come from the Lord. He is the source and giver of every single thing good. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights. So I've got to see that the good things in my life, those ordinary things that I take for granted are actually good gifts from the Father who loves you. And think about how, think about how a gift works compared to something that you paid for, okay? Um, oh, how would this work? Okay, the first big vacation I ever took, you know, on my, on my own, big pants person, when I was married was my honeymoon. And here's what was awesome. It was my parents' wedding gift to me. so I didn't have to pay for any of it. It was a complete gift. And that trip was awesome because everything was paid for. It, so I didn't care if one of the meals, like the steak, was a little bit uh, overcooked. This is awesome. This is all a gift. <laughs> uh, I didn't care that, you know, that one, one of our reservations, uh, the time was wrong. And so, you know, we just had to sit around and wait longer. Like, who cares? It's all a gift. everything was embraced as a joy but then the first time i took my my family on vacation and i paid for it all i was an anxious mess and i was so mad if 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 one meal was 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 wrong i was like i I paid for this this thing was supposed to be perfect because all of a sudden i'd shifted from something being a gift that i could enjoy it to i'm now entitled to this because i've paid for it and so everything better better match up and We know this, that if I see something as a gift, I'm free to enjoy it. But if I've paid for it, it better meet my expectations. And so the first step is this, and I'm actually going to kind of wrap this up here, is when someone gives us a gift, we do not purchase it, we receive it. A gift is not deserved or obligated. It's bestowed out of the kindness and desire of the giver. Have I learned to see all good things as simply a gift of his grace? Laughter the person you watch football with this afternoon, if that's what you do, the person that you share a meal with, uh, the, way that, like, the way that good coffee tastes in the morning, it is simply bestowed on you as a gift from the hand of him. And, and they're meant to be little tastes, little tastes of the, of the real world that's coming for all of his people in the new heavens, new earth. That, that little sip of great coffee that just somehow like calms your system, that's not nothing It's a taste of the new heavens and new earth that's coming one day. And so our call is not to seize the day to make things happen. This is what Zach Eswine says. He says, actually, the call is to open your hands and pay attention to what God is giving. Just look around and see. Receive it with humility. He really does give you enough. And therefore, instead of trafficking in in kind of bitterness and envy and anger, if everything is a gift, I can begin to traffic in gratitude. And like, like Greg said, that keeps me from idolatry because what is idolatry? I'm, I'm now idol. I'm worshiping the gift instead of, instead of the giver. Ultimately, a gift is supposed to, to make you see the heart behind the gift, which is how much your father loves you. Um, and so I, I'll kind of end with this. So this, right, I'm trying to get around the, uh, the kind of analogy that These things are real, but if you use them for the wrong things, you'll mess them up. So Eswine says, if you try to make a grapefruit into a baseball, that doesn't dismiss the value of the grapefruit, but it will make for a very disappointing baseball game, right? That baseball game will be terrible if you try to pitch a grapefruit. But if you want to enjoy the fruit's value, treat it according to God's purpose, see it as a gift, and eat it. But if you try to play baseball with it, you'll be disappointed. If you try to t- try to turn God's gifts into things to be held onto and worshiped and tell you who you are, it's always going to disappoint you. But seeing what they're, what they're designed to do, which is a gift from the Father to tell you that he loves you, you can actually enjoy that. So um, I'll end with this quote. These are his gifts to us and not trash to be thrown into the dumpster while we carry our Bibles and sit in the alley waiting for death to come. Wise hatred, embrace joy, and uh, yeah, we'll do kind of part two tomorrow, but, I mean next week, but are there any, any, anything come out of that that you would like to comment on or questions? Uh, I hate that we ended halfway, but we're a lot more. Yeah, anything, anything land with you? That's right. If they are just, if every, if every joy is just kind of an appetizer, a dim picture of what's to come, I can enjoy it. But if I clutch it and hold on to it like it's all that it is, I've missed it. So I can hold it with an open hand. I can enjoy it for the day that he's given it to me, but it is not everything. I don't have to, like, grip it with this vice grip because there's always something better coming one day. That's a good way to put it, Errol. All right, 1030, they're out there. We'll pick this up next week.